Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please make sure the volume of this podcast is set perfectly to your listening enjoyment. Please take your seat, whether that's on the treadmill, car, sofa, or bed, and buckle in for the last trip. My name is Jamie Beebe, and I'll be your tour guide recreating someone's last day in paradise. On behalf of myself and everyone behind the scenes, please enjoy the Last Trip Podcast. And because nobody likes a long flight to get to where they want to be, let's prepare for takeoff. Our victims today are Oscar Suarez and Magdalena DeVille. Oscar was 32 years old and his girlfriend Magdalena was 25 when they traveled from their home in New Jersey to Barbados for a week-long vacation to celebrate Magdalena's birthday at the end of June in 2019. The couple was last seen June 24th, just two days into the trip, on a jet ski, right outside their hotel. I actually stopped in Barbados a few years ago while I was on a cruise through the Caribbean, and I totally loved it. It's a beautiful island country that had a population of about 287,000 people in 2019. And it's pretty small with the widest point being about 21 miles across. Getting off the cruise, I only spent a day there and I'd love to go back and do some exploring. But overall, I think I got a pretty good feel for the place. It's exactly how you think it would be with the white sands and clear blue water. The tourist areas by the port were full of shops, there were excursions, photo ops, and of course, lots of tourists. I went snorkeling, saw tons of sea turtles, and then mostly relaxed on the beach the day I was there. It's the easternmost Caribbean island, and it's less than a million years old, which seems super old to me, but to put it in comparison, Madagascar is about 88 million years old. Barbados was created when the Atlantic crustal and Caribbean plates collided along with a volcanic eruption. And then later coral formed all around it about 300 feet out from the shore, which makes it geologically unique because it's actually two land masses that merged together over the years. The first people to arrive there were from Venezuela in long dugout canoes. And keep in mind that traveling that far would be pretty dangerous for most boats today, much less back then, which was around the year 600. The second wave of settlers were called the Arawaks, and they appeared around 800 A.D., They were short, olive-skinned people who bound their foreheads during infancy to slope it into a point. And yes, you heard that right. When the babies were born, they tied things around their heads so they would grow into a point. It's probably good we no longer do that, but it does sound pretty interesting nonetheless. They also wore a lot of black and white body paint, and the influential members of the tribe wore nose rings made of copper and gold alloys. So all in all, they probably looked a lot like the guys I normally date, covered in tattoos and piercings, of course, without the long pointy heads. Around the year 1200, the Arawaks were conquered by the Caribs, who were a taller and stronger tribe. They used poison on their bone arrows to paralyze their prey. So with that info, I assume that's how they took Barbados from the Arawaks. The Portuguese were the next to arrive, and they named the island Los Barbados, which means bearded ones. Not because the men on the island had long beards, but more likely because of all the fig trees on the island, which have kind of a beard-like appearance. In 1625, the first English ship arrived, and they deforested a lot of the land to make way for tobacco and cotton plantations. 
In the 1630s, sugarcane was introduced, and most of the work to get the sugar was done by slaves. Some of the slaves were people who wanted to emigrate overseas, who signed up to go there and work, but instead were trafficked into slavery. Others were kidnapped and brought over, and then they shipped over convicted criminals when they needed even more workers. So by the year 1700, the sugar trade was huge, and that's when they started kidnapping and trafficking people from Sierra Leone, Guinea, Ghana, the Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and Cameroon. Slavery on Barbados was finally abolished in 1834, but not exactly. It was followed by what they called a four-year apprenticeship period, during which the quote-unquote free men continued to work a 45-hour week without pay, in exchange for living in the tiny huts provided by the plantation owners. So freedom from slavery wasn't actually celebrated until 1838 at the end of that four years. After that, some people stayed in the sugarcane fields and others worked in prominent offices and other common jobs. People started moving to Barbados back then for the same reasons they do today. They loved the climate and the slow-paced island life. In fact, the island was thought to be the cure for the vapors, which I had to look up. The vapors was the archaic term for mental disorders, mostly in women, supposedly caused by internal vapors from the womb. Things like hysteria, mania, depression, bipolar disorder, mood swings, or PMS. I am definitely not opposed to being sent to a tropical island to cure my PMS. But back to our timeline of Barbados history. In 1966, Barbados finally became an independent state. A fun fact, in 2018, Barbados Labor Party, known as the BLP, returned to power and they got their first female prime minister. And obviously with the women in charge, Barbados has made significant strides in gender equality. That's the abbreviated history of how Barbados came to be. A couple other fun facts about Barbados. The wet season is from June to December and the dry season is from December to May. The temperature is always around 70 to 88 degrees year-round, which is basically perfect. Barbados is known for having a ton of different turtle species, and in fact, the day I was there, I was sitting at a bar on the beach when I noticed something over in the sand. When I got up to look, there were literally hundreds of turtles hatching right there at the bar headed to the ocean. It was one of those once-in-a-lifetime wild nature moments that I'll never forget. They also have green monkeys, which I hadn't seen before, and they're pretty cute. Fun fact, the male monkeys have pale blue balls. Who knew? The official language in Barbados is English, and it's the 52nd richest country in the world. No need to look it up because I did for you, but there are 195 countries worldwide, so that's 52 out of 195. While they used to rely on sugarcane, they do rely more on tourism now. Although, despite this, nearly 20% of Barbadians live in poverty, with almost 10% not being able to meet basic daily food needs. If you're headed to Barbados and you love to get off the beaten path and explore the stranger things on vacation, like I do, there are a few options. In the Barbados Cemetery of the Christ Church Parish, there's a semi-sunken tomb that has some mystery to it. The vault was initially built for the remains of Colonel Thomas Chase, who died in 1808. When it was opened a few years later to bury another family member, his coffin had moved around inside. That might not have been so odd because, who knows, it was just one coffin. 
But then it was opened again to bury another family member a few years later, and both coffins had moved around the vault. And these are really heavy coffins. But this kept happening, where the coffins had moved around every time they opened it to add someone else. One time they opened it, and all the coffins were standing straight up. Guys, that is creepy. There's no way anyone got in there because there's a securely sealed heavy stone door. Theories included flooding or gas buildup, but a lot of people thought it was something paranormal or a curse. In 1820, after the last known burial, the vault was permanently closed. But if you're in Barbados, I totally suggest visiting it because it does seem pretty cool. Also, a fun visit is the Morgan Lewis Windmill, built in 1727. It's the only intact and operating windmill on the island. In the late 20th century, the Barbados National Trust fully restored the windmill to its original working condition, and now they give tours there. And that's the beautiful island of Barbados. Let's dive into the disappearance of Oscar Suarez and Magdalena DeVille. Oscar and Magdalena, who everyone called Maggie, were a sweet, normal couple from New Jersey on vacation to celebrate Maggie's birthday. The couple had been together for about a year before going on this trip, and they'd been planning it for quite a while. They were originally planning to go to the Dominican Republic, but with their recent travel safety concerns there at the time, family members said they changed their minds last minute and booked the seemingly safer Barbados instead. For context about the Dominican, this was around the time there were a bunch of people dying at resorts there, and no one knew why. No one really still knows why, but authorities think it was from drinking bad alcohol or possibly carbon monoxide poisoning. Knowing what we know now, it's pretty ironic and serious foreshadowing that they worried so much about safety concerns before leaving on this trip. Oscar has two children, Elias, who was 10 at the time his dad went missing, and Tatiana, who was only five, both from a previous marriage. The kids obviously had a really hard time understanding why their father didn't come home and why there were no answers to what happened to him. Oscar was the type of father that would never go a day without FaceTiming his kids, so they were affected the very minute he went missing. It was written on the Bring Back Oscar and Maggie Instagram page that he was a single dad with full custody of his children. His cousin, David Monzon, called him an amazing father, brother, and friend. And Oscar's Facebook page stated he was a father above all else. His children were everything to him. After Oscar went missing, his children's mother, Kathy Ortiz, was clearly distraught, saying the kids have been wondering, my daughter's crying, I just keep saying he has no service, so we have to wait for him to have service to call. She added, I called that night, nothing, I text, my text messages don't even get delivered. Oscar was well-loved by his family and friends, and something like this happening to him was not what anyone saw coming. Oscar worked as an assistant director of dining services at a Montclair, New Jersey company called Compass Group, which was also where Maggie worked as a baker. Maggie loved baking and really had a passion for it. It was more than just a job for her. Her Instagram profile read, you name it, I bake it. And her Instagram feed was full of images of treats she baked. She took orders online from anyone that sent her an idea of what they wanted. She loved baking pastries, pies, gluten-free food, vegan food, cakes, and all kinds of things that really looked tasty. Maggie's family was considerably quieter than Oscar's when dealing with the media, so there's much less known in the public eye about Maggie. But Maggie and her family were very close, 
and they obviously loved her and still miss her. Members of both families flew out to Barbados to help with the search efforts, hoping for a happy outcome. Now let's cover the timeline and the facts in this case. The couple left New Jersey and checked into their shared room at the all-inclusive Discovery Bay Hotel in St. James, which is about nine miles from the capital of Bridgetown on June 22, 2019. During those first couple of days, they had a great time. They were sending photos back to their families of themselves drinking fruity drinks and enjoying romantic dinners. It was a normal, typical vacation of a couple in love. They saved up, planned it out, and things were going great. But that's when the mystery begins. They were last seen at 2.34 p.m. on Monday, June 24th, just two days into their vacation. They rented a jet ski from an operator at Whole Town Beach on the west coast of the Caribbean Sea for a short ride out into the ocean. And there's actually a surveillance video of their last moments, although it wasn't shown publicly until over a year later. I've seen this video, and you guys, it's eerie. Knowing you're watching someone's last moments before they simply vanish is haunting. The video shows Oscar and Magdalena at Whole Town Beach near the hotel on the western side of the island. They're relaxing at the beach on a perfect Saturday afternoon. Not a cloud in the sky, the ocean is calm, the sun is shining, there's tons of people on the beach, and the drinks are flowing. A man walks up to them and he asks them if they wanted to rent a jet ski which happens all day long there, and they're rented by tons of vacationers. It's a fun and exciting way to cool off in the ocean. In fact, when I was in Barbados, I went on a jet ski at almost the exact same spot as Oscar and Maggie. There are locals walking around trying to sell you an activity or a souvenir every five minutes. In this video, a few minutes later, the couple gets up from their chairs on the beach and they walk over to where the jet ski is located, which is about 50 feet away. We see them meet up with the jet ski operator, who we later find out is Art Neal Abbey, whose nickname was Bear. And he rented the jet ski to the couple for a 30-minute ride. A little more on him later in this story, though. Oscar and Maggie both put life vests on, and then, just like every other time a jet ski is rented, the vessel was pushed out into the water. From there, seen on the right-hand side of the screen in the surveillance video, the couple rides out to sea toward the horizon. The image on the video then becomes a little fuzzy. They change direction and become a fuzzy white streak on the video. They turn and ride to the left, still along the horizon, until they eventually ride out of frame. This is the absolute last image of Oscar Suarez and Maggie DeVille. They were wearing their swimsuits and both wearing life jackets and riding on the same jet ski with Oscar driving and Maggie on the back. They left their belongings on the beach, including their towels and sandals, so they obviously had plans to return right after the half-hour ride. I have to say, anyone who's been out in the ocean knows that wearing a life vest means you're going to float, without fail. Even without the life vest, it's salt water, so it's pretty easy to float at least for a while. Bear, the jet ski operator, said he could no longer see the couple on the water after about 15 minutes. And after another 15 minutes, at 2.55 p.m., when the pair did not return to the shore, he became worried and contacted other operators around the area to start searching for them. But no one spotted them. Right when someone goes missing, especially in a situation like this, being in the ocean, those first minutes are going to be the most crucial. Their disappearance was actually reported to the Royal Barbados Police Force quite quickly after they didn't show up when the ride was over, and a missing persons alert was issued immediately. 
things escalated really fast from there, and there were a lot of people searching for the couple all over the land and sea. Strangely, there wasn't a hint of them anywhere. The couple had simply ridden off over the horizon and vanished. On June 26th, two days after the last sighting of the couple, Rodney Innes, police spokesman from Bridgetown Barbados, held a news conference. He said there had been no developments in the case at all. No one had seen either the jet ski or any sign of the couple or even the reflective life vest they were wearing at the time. He asked members of the public to be on the lookout for anything that could help in the search. He said they were going to continue the search and were searching even as far as St. Vincent's and Lucia and were getting help from those authorities as well. The police spokesman said they were doing everything they could to find the couple. On June 28th, four days after their disappearance, a C-130 Air Force reconnaissance plane provided by the United States of America joined the search operation. And guys, it's been four days, so I think it's unlikely they're looking for a couple that would still be floating in the water. But since the jet ski also vanished, I guess there's a slim chance they could be alive and floating around on it. This plane was in the sky for 10 hours a day in an effort to find the missing couple and jet ski. But they came up empty-handed. It's hard to believe that no one had even spotted the jet ski. It's unusual because even a jet ski that isn't working will still float. On June 29th, five days after the couple was last seen, there were false reports that the bodies of Oscar and Maggie were found off the coast of St. Lucia. The Minister of Tourism and International Transport, Carrie Simmons, spoke to the press putting down the rumors and reminding people, in his words, to be mindful of the fact that the couple both have families who are on the island at this point. What they are going through is really unimaginable. It is a tremendous level of personal pain, stress, and concern. And what is really most unhelpful for them is to be put through the emotional peaks and troughs of a roller coaster based purely on empty speculation and what is largely idle gossip. Officials from Barbados, the United States, and surrounding islands searched extensively for Oscar and Maggie. Ocean searches like this typically only last 72 hours, which makes sense because how long could someone really last alive in the ocean? If you're stuck out in the ocean, you'd either drown, run out of drinking water, or get eaten by sharks within those 72 hours. On that note, it's good to know if you're visiting Barbados and go missing, they're only going to look for you for about 72 hours. But being that this case had so much mystery because absolutely nothing, including the jet ski, was found, the Prime Minister, Mia Motley, instructed authorities to continue looking for the couple for another 72 hours to ensure they absolutely exhausted every opportunity to find them. Like I mentioned, the U.S. government had also joined in the search with airplanes and rescue support. But still, no one found a single clue as to what happened to Oscar and Maggie. Shipping and commercial aircraft in the area were also told to be on the lookout for the missing couple. But again, nothing. Authorities not only searched the sea, but also throughout the island. They checked with the hotel, but neither had ever returned, and all their things were left behind. Backing up to those first couple days in the search, the U.S. Embassy in Barbados had not contacted either of the couple's families to let them know their loved ones were nowhere to be found. The families actually found out from the press, and I cannot imagine what that must have felt like. 
When they heard the reports, they called the U.S. Embassy immediately and were told that they were waiting to notify the family in case the couple had just wanted privacy. Come on now. To me, being that they went missing on the water, left their things on the beach, and the overall mystery of everything, I think they should have called the family immediately. As soon as Oscar and Maggie's families found out they were missing, they were on the next flight to Barbados. They were obviously distraught, worried, and overwhelmed, not to mention upset that they hadn't been notified earlier. You never think it's going to be your family that has to go through something like this. It's really that case of when your worst fear becomes a reality. Oscar's cousin got to work the minute they landed, spending the entire day walking up and down the beach, interviewing guests at the hotel, handing out flyers to anyone who may have seen them on the beach or on the jet ski. The family just wanted answers or really any information at all, but they were getting absolutely nothing from the authorities. The couple was supposed to fly home on June 29th, but just a day later, the search was officially called off. At 6.30 p.m. on Sunday, June 30th, they deemed the search unsuccessful, and authorities in Barbados called it off and completely stopped searching. The U.S. military aircraft had ended their search a couple of days earlier. It's not that they didn't try to find them. The search had covered more than 600 nautical miles and included police, the local Coast Guard, regional security forces, and the U.S. Air Force. The family felt like they called off the search way too early. But really, you have to think about whether they could still be alive out at sea. For the next week and a half, there was no news at all. Everything was quiet. Then, the nation's news in Barbados reported that on Saturday, July 6th, the crew of a French naval ship spotted a jet ski floating in the sea off the southern coast of Guadalupe, which is about 250 miles northwest of Barbados. The ship notified the Barbados and Guadalupe Coast Guards about their discovery And when the jet ski was finally recovered, they found it was the same registration number as the jet ski that Oscar and Maggie were riding. Number 162H, a blue 2016 Yamaha jet ski. So we finally have the first clue in the case, but it gets us no closer to finding out what happened to Oscar and Maggie. The fact that it had been found so far from where the couple went missing blows my mind. And it was still floating. So even if they were riding around and there was a problem with the jet ski, why wouldn't they just stay on it and float until someone found them? Or if they fell off, wouldn't they try to stay near it even if they couldn't get back on? And if it had been floating in the sea this whole time, how did no one spot it? They had people in boats and in the air looking for it. I think this is where a lot of the conspiracy theories started because things simply weren't adding up. By July 22nd, the families had hired JRS Investigations, a private investigation company to help with the search. The families weren't happy with the answers and non-communication they were getting from the authorities in Barbados and wanted to take things into their own hands. They believed it was a strong possibility that their loved ones were still out there somewhere and they wanted to find them. I don't blame them one bit, and I really hope my family would do the same thing especially because no sign of either Oscar or Maggie, dead or alive, had been found at all. The private investigation company the families hired chartered a vessel with a small crew 
and set out to start searching the islands in the area that the couple could have possibly made it to. But on August 19th, the family stated that despite the PI working with them for over two weeks in a search and rescue operation covering the western islands from Guadalupe all the way down to Tobago and continuing the search in Barbados looking at additional camera footage and ground investigation, there were still no findings at all that would help to locate Oscar or Maggie. By September 19th, almost three months since the couple had vanished, the family's frustration with the search and the country of Barbados was put out in the open in a statement released on Instagram by Oscar's sister, Susanna Cruz, detailing their complaints. A disturbing fact about the jet ski also came out around this time. The family had received contact from a UK citizen named Mark Hover, who had been in Barbados and rented the same exact jet ski three hours earlier in the day. He was able to determine it was the same exact one because he compared the photos that he took while riding it to the ones from the Coast Guard of the found jet ski and the serial numbers matched. Mark Hover told the family that there were clear mechanical issues wrong with the jet ski, so much so that the jet ski operator offered a future discounted ride once he had made the repairs. Now remember, Mark had rented this jet ski only a couple hours before Oscar and Maggie, so there is no way that the jet ski would have been fixed before the couple got on it. This is a major break in the case. It was also found that the jet ski owner was unlicensed and uninsured and was later charged for those infractions. He got a fine of $450 for each offense, and then the jet ski was eventually returned to him. The family had a lot of questions that were simply being left unanswered by the Barbados government. They wanted to know the status of Oscar's iPad, Maggie's phone, the mechanic report of the found jet ski, why Mr. Hover had not been contacted by the authorities, and even if it was still an active investigation, because no sign of either life or death had been found. When they finally got the forensics conclusions from the jet ski, it was revealed that it had four gallons of gas left in the tank, which could hold 18 gallons. There were small cracks seen under the hull in an area where repairs had been done at some point earlier to the fiberglass. But despite the cracks, the jet ski had supposedly stayed afloat for the 10 days until it was found. The engineer who conducted the inspection found a battery cable going from the battery to the solenoid switch was not connected. This was the primary concern and what could have gone wrong because that broken cable would have prevented the engine from restarting. The security bolt and lug, which would have attached the cable to the battery, were also missing and not found in the engine compartment. The engineer also determined that poor maintenance would have led to corrosion. And this brings us to today, four years from when Oscar and Maggie rode into the ocean on their jet ski. And nothing has been found in the case since. No bodies, no life jackets, no answers. Only that jet ski floating 10 days later over 250 miles away. And while the family is still searching and trying to keep the case alive, there have been no updates from authorities. So what happened to Oscar Suarez and Magdalena DeVille? There really aren't any clues to go on, but there are a few theories out there being kicked around. On the Barbados Instagram account at Nation246, there was a lot of speculation in the comments about the missing couple. 
One that came up several times is the idea that the pair ran into pirates, drug dealers, or another group of criminals while jet skiing on the high seas. I wouldn't rule this out as a possibility, but what would criminals care about a pair of jet skiers? If we go with this theory, there are a couple scenarios. First, they could have been in the wrong spot at the wrong time and actually saw some criminal activity go down, so the criminals had to get rid of them. But poking holes in that theory, nothing else was seen in the area, and the pair literally disappeared within a half hour. I find it hard to believe that in the 30 minutes they were adventuring out on a jet ski, they got close enough to someone committing a crime to see it and then were caught and somehow removed from the area without anyone noticing anything out of the ordinary. Could it possibly happen? Sure. Was it something that likely happened? I doubt it. The time frame just doesn't add up. The family theorized at one point that they might have been kidnapped, but no ransom request ever came. They even upped the reward to $100,000 in case someone was looking for ransom, but still nothing. And the kidnapping theory for me also doesn't seem feasible. It would have been too hard to plan out ahead of time. If there were kidnappers just waiting around in the ocean to kidnap someone on a jet ski, I think someone would have seen something, especially because the search party went out so quickly. Another theory is that they arranged to disappear from their lives, that they planned it out, had someone pick them up at sea, and are living happily ever after somewhere under the radar. There is a lot of reasons this doesn't work for me. First, that's a lot of planning. And by all accounts, it didn't look like they even planned to ride a jet ski that day. The jet ski operator randomly went up to them like he did everyone else on the beach, and they made a spur-of-the-moment decision to go out on it. Also, they left everything behind. Their luggage, their kids and family, even their shoes. None of the money in their accounts has ever been used, and there was no secret account where they were saving money. It was speculated that they did it for the insurance money, but again, they both went missing and weren't the beneficiaries of each other's insurance, so neither of them would be able to benefit financially in that scenario. And also, where would they have gone? Did the jet ski hold enough gas to make it to another island? Could they be living it up on a deserted island together? Well, the closest island is about 100 miles away, although there are probably smaller islands that don't show up on the maps. A jet ski can go 35 miles an hour for about two and a half hours, and on a full tank, that would be 105 miles, if my math is correct. So could this be a possibility? Maybe. Was it something that likely happened? No, I don't think so. Also, the jet ski was found with four gallons of gas still in it. So they couldn't have gotten 100 miles away, even if they had a full tank when they left the shore. Some people speculated that it was a murder-suicide or double-suicide, but that seems far-fetched. Who would plan that on a birthday vacation? There was no note left behind, their relationship was going great, they had kids and family at home that they were in constant contact with, and by all accounts, they led really happy, fulfilling lives. There was no reason for them to willingly leave their lives. Others dove deep into the paranormal world. Aliens abducted them, mermaids took them under, a giant sea creature swallowed them up. I can't prove there aren't aliens, mermaids, or giant sea creatures waiting for people to drive by on a jet ski, but I find it very unlikely that the pair ran into anything of the sort. The most likely theory is that the couple drowned, which I'd give the most weight to. 
but it still doesn't answer the question of what happened. They both had life jackets on, and searchers were out there within a half hour looking for them, so they easily could have floated until help arrived. Could they have taken their life jackets off? Sure, but then the life jackets probably would have been found at some point. They do float. If they fell off the jet ski, common sense said they'd stay close and float with it until help arrives. If they were in the water, there's a chance they could have been attacked by sharks. But they would have almost had to fall onto a bunch of sharks and then pretty much be eaten whole because there were no body parts found. Also, remember that shark attacks are very rare and humans are not a normal food source for sharks. So while I think it's likely they drowned, the big question for me is how? Like, what were the circumstances? The big mystery is that no part of either of them were ever found, and the jet ski was found still floating with gas in it hundreds of miles away over a week later. Searchers had been in that water within a half hour of them driving away. I really think if the jet ski was anywhere in that vicinity at that time, they would have seen it. A jet ski is big enough and bright enough to see from the sky, and it was still floating. It really doesn't make sense. All we know for sure is that Oscar and Maggie went for a quick ride on a jet ski and vanished. As we wrap this episode up, let's go over a couple ways you can stay safe while traveling. Basic travel tips for Barbados include avoiding isolated areas, including beaches, and particularly after dark. Use only licensed taxis and take particular care if you attend any late-night street parties, especially during the festival season. Don't carry large amounts of cash or jewelry. Leave your valuables and travel documents in a safety deposit box or hotel safe. Or just leave anything like that at home because you really don't need it on vacation anyway. One thing to be mindful of in Barbados is that public displays of affection like hand-holding or kissing between opposite or same-sex couples are uncommon. And unfortunately, LGBTQ plus travelers should add extra caution because some acts between same-sex couples are still considered illegal there. So at the least, public displays of affection may attract unwanted and negative attention. It's good to remember that no matter where you are traveling, it's really important to research local laws and customs, whether you agree with them or not. Per the Royal Barbados Police Force, it's an offense in Barbados to wear the disruptive pattern known as camouflage. Wearing any form of camouflage is illegal, so don't dress in it or even carry a purse or backpack made of camouflage material. I'd avoid it altogether if you're heading to the island. I remember before disembarking in Barbados from the cruise ship, they reminded all the passengers of that and even did a quick check as we hopped off the ship. Being mindful of proper dress codes wherever you are is important. Topless and nude bathing on Barbados beaches is illegal. Wearing a bikini or swim trunks off the beach and into town is not appreciated. And formal attire like skirts or pants is necessary at a Barbadian bank. While I never condone drug use and find it extremely important to limit your drinking while traveling, keep in mind that recreational use of cannabis is still illegal in Barbados, although the medical and spiritual use for registered Rastafarians is allowed. Also, smoking is not allowed in public places, including the beaches. You should only smoke in places where secondhand smoke is unlikely to affect other people. The main crimes in Barbados often center around government corruption and transparency, 
along with the discrimination against LGBTQ plus people, drugs, and poverty. Although, if you're wondering, the violent crime rate in Barbados is typically lower than that of the United States. Whenever you're traveling, always inform someone about your plans before going anywhere. Tell someone reliable where you're going, what you'll be doing, and when to expect you back. And my number one tip to staying alive on vacation is to pay attention to your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it isn't. As we come in for a landing, anyone with information on Oscar Suarez or Magdalena DeVille who went missing while vacationing in Whole Town Beach, Barbados, can call the Whole Town Police Station at 419-1700 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-TIPS, which is 1-800-8477. Or email bringbackoscarandmeggie at gmail.com to send information to the family. The reward being offered for any information that helps find the couple is $100,000. Magdalena DeVille, who went by Maggie, was 25 years old at the time of her disappearance. She is 5 feet 7 inches tall and weighed 165 pounds. She's African American and has black hair, dark eyes, and dark skin. She has one tattoo located on her rib. Oscar Suarez was 32 years old at the time of his disappearance. He is 5 feet 7 inches tall and weighed 210 pounds. He has three tattoos located on his hand, chest, and arm. Oscar is Hispanic with slight facial hair, dark eyes, dark hair, and olive skin. If anyone out there has any information on this couple and what happened to them, please speak up so their families can find some peace. And finally... Remember to leave a review and rate this podcast five stars if you like the show or hell, even if you don't. But either way, feel free to let me know what you think. Please follow The Last Trip on Instagram at The Last Trip Crime Pod and subscribe on Patreon to support the show. You'll get extra research, videos, photos, and updates, and even learn more about my personal travels at patreon.com slash The Last Trip Podcast. I'm Jamie Beebe, bringing you your last trip and signing off until the next one. Thanks for listening.